sometimes I wish you knew But I disguise the truth I say I'm happy but I'm still stuck on us mm -mm -mm. Does your mind play this game too? Think about me and you I guess I'll just pretend until it all makes sense mm -mm 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 -mm. See you face to face, I'm thinking about the days we used to be But I can't make a scene But I can't make a scene See you face to face, I'm thinking about the days we used to be But I can't make a scene But I can't make a scene To blame, you're so good with change. Mm -mm -mm. A table set for two. You got me waiting, but you ain't coming through. Try to stay patient, but gotta face the truth. Mm -mm -mm. Whoa, whoa. See you face to face. I'm face thinking face. about the days we used to be. Thinking about the days. But I can't make a scene. No, I can't make a scene. But I can't make a scene. No, no. See you face to face, I'm thinking about the days we used to be But I can't make a scene But I can't make a scene We are back, and that is that is my opening line now. I just say it, and it's... I, I don't want it to be, but it just is naturally what I say every time. Anyways, we're back, Quentin, and I'm going to not ramble a bunch before I just say the name of this week's episode, and the reason why is because I came up with it, you know, so I, I am... Uh, I'm selfish in that way. Uh, this week, Quentin, we are The Boring Company. Um, nice uh, little shout-out to uh, a recent papa and uh, number one winner of always being a fucking dumbass online, uh, Elon Musk. Um... I heard he's opening up, he's reopening up, but in, like, Texas or Arizona or some shit. It's like, to me, being a California native, I'm like, good riddance. Yeah, yeah, he was, like, he was like so fucking mad about everything. He's like, you know what, fuck it, I'll just go to Texas. Yeah. It's like, like, okay, like, I imagine, like, no one's so upset about that. Nah, fuck <laughs> off, man. Hopefully, hopefully you can get the fuck out of here. And from the people that Dude, I've... Dude, it's the oh, weirdest, like, it's the weirdest fucking thing that, like, him and Grimes are married? 
Are they married? I know they just had a kid. Well, but they're, they're, yeah, they're... but it's like, yeah, but like, but like, imagine trying to like put in perspective like who Grimes is, I know, and who Elon Musk is, and like explaining this like 15, 20 years down the line. Yeah, I mean, so my wife put on Alicia. I hate fucking referring to her as my wife to people because it feels weird. Like, anyways, Alicia, my wife. Um, she was like watching some Grimes like interview thing, and she was talking about. Uh, uh, I oh, I can't even remember which song. Either way, doesn't matter. Uh, one of the songs off the new album, and she was talking about the like where the writing and all of it. And she's just so she's such a fucking nerd, and it's weird. And it's then that we were having a conversation later about it, where it's like, I think that when you respect somebody as an artist, especially in music, and you like like their music or whatever it is, you want to like kind of put your own morality and intelligence onto them and project it onto them and be like they might they're probably even smarter than me because they're able to create something that I enjoy but she doesn't have that same intelligence and being a, a musician is not the same intelligence but yeah like when you think about her from the outside she seems like someone who shouldn't be with Elon Musk but then when you like kind of get more of a glimpse on who she is as a person you're kind of like no I, I guess it kind of makes sense that she thinks that her fucking weird technocrat uh transhumanist boyfriend is actually enough of a genius that he deserves to figure out what to do with the billion dollars that's going to save humanity rather than letting the or, government or, or do like, it. Or like, or, or like the more we learn about Elon Musk and like, is he just a big fucking weirdo? Like, yeah, he's a complete fucking weirdo and a creep and dumb. And like, that's the worst part about it to me is he's just dumb, but he thinks like him on Joe Rogan is perfect because they're like the same fucking guy. They're both like really... D- Joe Rogan's actually a little bit more self-aware, but they're both like a dumb guy who kind of thinks that they know stuff and wants to do well, but like doesn't really understand how to just like step back and, and let other people take care of it. And like Joe Rogan, I mean, you know, he's not terrible at the things that he does, but he's got like that similar trait where it's like just kind of a dumb guy who's really interested yeah. in being smart, but uh, Elon Musk takes it in the wrong way. And like, <laughs> it, it, it just makes me laugh so much. It's like, just like knowing like Grimes, like Pitchfork darling, fucking like <laughs> album of the like, album of the year person. Like people just like love like her on such a nerdy music level. Like not like some gigantic star by any means. Just like a real like nerd bait musician. Totally. And it's like, like it's like we'll, we'll fucking I, I, it's, it will never cease to amaze me. <laughs> yes, but the, that's our uh, cultural reference conversation for the week. I don't know how we got there. Uh, this week, Quentin, I don't know if we teased it at all, but this week we are reviewing Attack Pro Wrestling. How do you learn to fall off of a twenty foot ladder? It is from uh, March, right? No, f- April third, twenty sixteen. Square almost like smack dab in the middle of the two progress shows that we just re- we just reviewed the past two weeks. So that's an interesting kind of note, especially based on the things that we said about some wrestlers who cross over between there and here in progress, um, and just how different they come across in attack comparatively. Um, for my background and why I kind of pushed for us to do this, number one, I still had a copy of it on an external hard drive, so it made it easy to watch. Um, number two. This, I think, was the first Attack show that I bought, like, the VOD online that I, like, actually purchased to watch um, because I was excited about the the Tag Team Ladder match, um, and I wanted to see that because I, I had seen a little bit of everyone involved and I wanted to see more, um, and I wanted to see them in Attack here in this ladder match, and, and um, it did not disappoint so much so that after this I became a pretty regular Attack pro viewer slash purchaser of shows like before this i think i would watch stuff if i could find it online for free 
And then after this is when I started buy actually buying the shows, like buying pretty much every show for a while there. I mean, you were both kind of watching them pretty regularly. Um, so that's kind of my background on this this time and why I wanted to watch this show. But uh, I don't know, Quentin, you want to give your kind of similar situation? Uh, yeah, um, this is a show that I completely forgot about. Like, I, I know that I knew that I had seen this show before, but and I'm, and I'm glad that you. Um recommending this because I'm gonna like leave this with a somewhat of a could be potential hot take I'm not sure if you're gonna disagree with me by, by the time we get to it but it definitely like reminded me like how good this show was and just again like Attack just like a lot of promotions that uh have comedy wrestling in it get defined as a comedy promotion and this show is a great example of like no like when when Attack wants to wrestle and have really good matches they could have an entire show full of these and yeah. that's what pretty that's what pretty much this entire this entire show was and you're seeing a lot of people like they still feel like really fresh a lot of people still feel really new like mike bird still has hair <laughs> or like he hadn't he, had, he hadn't yet cut he hadn't yet cut his hair uh we're still getting like early tyler, early tyler Bate and travis banks before he was getting any push anywhere uh pete dunn we mentioned that pete dunn was a top guy everywhere in Europe, really, pretty much, except for progress by this point already, and here we just see Pete Dunn like at the like really like coming around to the, to the peak of his powers, and everyone else like CCK and Bayside High, all feeling really like really fresh and great. And while like watching progress was like, I enjoy I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed getting, being able to go back and certain things. Like this is like the real fun, like going back and seeing. Nixon and Mark Andrews and like how the chemistry between Chris Brooks and Nixon Duel, like this was like a real nice blast from the past. And we talked about it off air, but it almost doesn't like do it justice to kinda like do this whole do, do the thing we done before where we talk about the previous attack show and the show that in the in the show that was after it because the attack universe doesn't really age the way that Progress's universe might age. Or that Rev Pro is my age, or that WXW is my age, because regardless of everything that goes around, like people were still allowed to work Attack, and people were still allowed to be uh, where they like where they were, and still uh, wrestle for Attack just because Attack posed no threat for the for the most part. So everyone that still works Attack now was working Attack back in 2016, and other than uh, some like small gimmick changes and some exclusive signings, people are still pretty much working Attack, and they're getting they're giving new people pushes like Robbie X, who's a mid card guy here, is now getting more uh, main event level stuff, and people like Car Noir come around. And Speedball Mike Bailey was getting a little bit a little bit of a, run, a little bit of a run last year, but for the most part, Attack is still Attack. So I'm gonna pass it off to you for a second, but we can start rattling off some things that at the time this show was happening, we could just talk about where wrestling was as a whole. Well, okay, so one of the things that I thought was interesting for me to look at just for a a like a kind of comparison point, especially for how some of these matches felt, um, which is that there was some stuff in here, especially the opener, that I felt was kind of too long for what it was, a bit over the top. Even if I really enjoyed the match, I'm not saying that the match was bad, but there was, towards the end of it, feeling like they need to get this over with. And I think that a promotion that really kind of exemplified that around this time, or at least I thought so, was PWG, which I was, like, hardcore in my in my time of going to all PWG shows at this point. But I looked it up, and, and 
there wasn't a show that was like right at the same time as this, but like a month before and a month after, um, there was All Star Weekend twelve, and then Prince was after, um, and that was to me really the time where PWG was starting to kind of cut back on that. Every match has to be overkill. Every match has to go like at least twenty minutes. Um, every match has to have t- way too many near falls and uh, just so many moves and all this. So it's really interesting to see because I do think that the PWG influence was a, a big reason why a company like Attack here would have matches that had a little bit too, just a little bit too much and a little bit too much overkill. Um, was because of PWG, but even PWG had reined it back at this point. But it kind of, you know, <laughs> just like let's say vir- a viral infection. Sometimes it takes a little bit a while for you to notice those changes reverberate. And it was like not this is like right you know, maybe a month after PWG kind of stopped doing that and attack still was like very much hardcore in the like vein of basically doing a bit of overkill when it came to, uh, to just everything in their matches and everything just going a little bit too long. Nothing, you know, none of them are like terribly too long to where you're just like, God, when is this going to finish? But it just gets to a point somewhere right before the finish where you're like, this probably should already be over. And it's just right. better off to leave you wanting more, I think, in general, as people say, in basically in wrestling in general, leave people wanting more than to, to have them basically be sick of you and just want it to be over with. So that was kind of a, you know, oh, that's interesting to see. There was a lag time before. And it was after this, I think that PWG, or not PWG, attack shows stopped having kind of as many of the matches that went a little bit too long and tried a little bit too hard to be like epic. You know, and that again, that was the the time period where I was really paying attention to attack mostly. Um, so yeah. Uh, otherwise, I mean, what other kind of touchstone outside of the world of attack things did you want to talk about? Um, for me, I think it's interesting that this is only a few days after. I, mean, I think it might be the same, a day after um, WrestleMania weekend ends for for WWN. Um, this was the big, this was the big Dallas weekend, WrestleMania, uh, 32. And, you know, a lot of people would probably recognize this as like the coming out party for Will Ospreay. Um, you get other, you get other good, you get other good stuff. I remember there being like a Fred Yeah versus Chris Hero match that was, that was, that was really good. And all, and all of that that would happen in 2016. But this weekend in particular was like really marked by the, um, this was the stamp of Will Ospreay that Will Ospreay like had already accomplished so much, so much in twenty in twenty fifteen that twenty sixteen like no, this is a for real guy. And then by a, a few days after this, he winds up going to Japan for uh, his debut at Invasion Attack. So I think it's funny to like like already have the perspective that Will Ospreay's this huge star already, or at least like very much on his way to becoming that huge star. And then. Where where other people are now that became like Will Ospreay's contemporaries because I think we forget sometimes like how far ahead Will Ospreay was of everybody and I think now like you kind of like you kind of like just assume like oh it was a uh, Zach and Will and Marty and um and and Pete and Trent and Tyler we we all kind of like lumped them together lumped them together now but if again we just look at what was going on back back in April 2016 for Pete and Tyler, Pete is the t- only like he's, he's the twenty four seven champion, <laughs> yeah. and that's great. Like like because Pete made that title mean something because Pete wanted to you know just do something fun, but that's because he's the twenty four seven champion in Attack, and like Tyler Bank is in a mid card match with Travis Banks. I mean Ty- Ty- Tyler Bates in a mid card match, match with Travis Banks, who is far from the, is far from the established guy yet. And I think for me, like it just like reminds you of the gap of 
Will Ospreay, regardless of like how much you like him or don't like him or find him annoying, like he was very much ahead of everybody else that wasn't Zack by that point. And that like obviously by the end of twenty sixteen, that's when British Strong style, like they uh closed the gap and everything. But Will Ospreay was really like on another level in, in terms of guys that were uh crossing over from that scene because Pete and Tyler they weren't even like on that radar yet yeah well it's interesting to even reference that I mean I looked it up here and it's it's a week it's this is literally a week before Osprey de- debuts in in uh, New Japan right against uh, yeah. Kushida so it's like a week later then it takes like a whole another year before he shows up in attack wrestling which is very funny to think about um, and I mean you say that Zach is the only person who comes close but like I mean I think that's arguable that Zach wasn't even Osprey was already a bigger star than Zach at this point. Like, yeah, but it's very. I mean, like the the thing is that like by that point, Zach uh, had just won the PWG title. Um, Which uh, he's still like he's 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 embroiled he's embroiled in the uh, in the Hero feud. I think he's the RPW champion. So like it really like, so like you you can make a solid argument that Osprey's a hotter name, but like. It's still like Zach is right there, pretty much. Right, and I think that 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 stuff is all a big deal to us. But, but, I mean, on the other hand of it, it's Osprey is sh- debuting in a junior heavyweight title match in the biggest exactly. company in in Japan. It's the biggest company in Japan. Meanwhile, Zach is doing well in America, but it's in you know the big indies not the biggest company in America. So there is like an argument, like what does PWG mean compared to new Japan and, and card placement and everything else? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a debate. It really is to say like, who's a, a bigger deal. Um, who's a bigger, and and, and, and then will wins best of super juniors, like a few months later. So it's like, at that point, it's like, you can make the Zach case, but like, it's, it's, it's pretty much will. Yeah. And then Zach shows up in, uh, in new Japan eventually there. And he's playing second in the, you know, the heels undercard heel stable. Meanwhile, Osprey is kind of being groomed as the, the uh, you know mentee of the number one guy in the fucking company. So I think that he just it gets to a point where Osprey completely blows Zach out of the water, and it feels really weird for me to even say because I think yeah. even to this point I haven't really rectified that fact in my mind that like no Osprey is like clearly and I think I've even like said it and thought it before like osprey is clearly the most famous european wrestler in the world right now i don't think that there's any question and then on top of that he's getting the critical acclaim of of a lot of people considering him the best wrestler on the planet even you know for 2019 and then you know now 2020 doesn't exist anymore but so it is interesting to think about that like how does uh how, how osprey just i mean God, like is there a european wrestler who's more famous than than osprey i mean i think we've we've asked this we've talked about this before and i don't think that there is i really think that he's probably the most famous biggest deal european wrestler at the moment it, it, it really just depends on like how much you want to fight it like it, it, there's, there's nothing wrong with saying that like osprey was just like on a different level than, every, than everyone else because like that's what that's what you had, just what happened you got better you got a better shake better deals and he wound up being the one that everybody everyone wanted to wanted to use and do, do all this stuff for and and we, we talk about him like in this all time capacity and like what's gonna happen with him all time but I think even now it's like like if you want unless you wanna like sit there and like die on the hill of like Regal or, or Finley and neither of those guys were ever as important to a company as Will Ospreay is right now I mean like 
like it's like you're, even you're, you're barely holding on to your what to your to your Will Ospreay like I guess like bias there. Right. No, definitely. It is. I mean, I guess as I was saying that, I did think about that. I guess because I I just listened to um to I think it was the BWE British Wrestling Experience podcast where they did kind of a a, a draft thing. Um, and they were only drafting European wrestlers, and they did reference Drew Galloway and Becky Lynch. So I guess you could say that that they're bigger <laughs> stars than Osprey. Um, but I think that that's you know they're WWE wrestlers, like right, like Becky, like Becky is fine. I feel like I feel like even Drew, like that's like very debatable. Like, right? No, definitely. I mean, he is the WWE champion, and he main evented WrestleMania, but that's also like with no crowds, you know. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, Becky, Becky for sure. But also like, I don't know. Do you, I I remember Rebecca Knox a little bit from like Irish Whip, but to me, like I heard about her more like wrestling in the Pacific Northwest and then retiring and then eventually showing back up in WWE. Right? Like, I don't know. I guess you could say she's a Euro, she's European born, but I don't consider her a European wrestler really. No, like that's not like that's not really where her like name was made. I guess too, because like again, like. People talking about it, but by that point, like while like one, there's barely even any Irish wrestling, and two, like there's definitely barely any like like women like women's Irish wrestlers by by that point. Right? Yeah, exactly. So like, 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 so like Becky like taking like picking up and like taking her craft somewhere else was the best shit that she could do, because like just in Ireland, it just was not available for her to like sit there and like try to like, and try to keep wrestling keep keep wrestling the women over there because it was super limited and you weren't going to improve it that way. No, totally. I mean, the smartest thing she did was take off because there's nothing that she could have done in in the Irish wrestling scene. I feel like this is all very superfluous from Attack Pro Wrestling. Um Yeah, yeah, I don't know what's going on at this point. Yes. Um so yeah, so I guess other like big picture stuff that's going on in the wrestling world outside of this that you think is worth mentioning or or should we just uh, get into the show? Um. Yeah. No, nothing. Nothing here. Like it's it's a it's a really good show. So I think I want to we I want to get straight into it. Just like really like give the show the credit that it deserves. It is a good show, and I already referenced the opening match in just saying that it felt like by the time it was getting towards the end, I was like, this needs to finish. But I had I did really enjoy the match. Um, you got you know fly, I think this is still flying Mike Bird. It's barely even the beginning of the crowd starting to chant uh, Ginger Jesus and. Uh, and I've referenced the match before. Me and you talked about it before, I think, on podcast or at least somewhere. Mike Bird versus Zack Sabre Jr. Um, happens, I think, two or three shows after this in Attack. Um, it's Mike Bird still has the long hair, but it's getting towards the end of the long hair Mike Bird. And that was really a big kind of eye-opener, I think, for people, um, at least for me, at the time, being like, okay, Mike Bird is really good. And this match was also, like, really good. But I, I almost kind of forgot it from watching it back years and years ago. The Zack Sabre Jr. Always match kind of stood out in my mind. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Mike Bird, like I said, like to think about that, cause I remember that match more and that was just three shows after this really for, for attack. Um, and that was a first round match in the attack pro wrestling kind of, uh, main title. I think it's a heavyweight title. I don't even know what they, if they, if it, they call it a heavyweight title, but whatever it is, their main title, um, was, that was the tournament to crown the first champion there. Um, and you open it up with, I think, Mike Bird beating Zack Sabre Jr. Um, and I think maybe Zack's only match in attack, even to this day, which is kind of interesting to think about. No, Zack um, wrestled a boar in a, in a, oh, a long-lost match. That match great, doesn't count. Match that match is not allowed to be spoken of. Uh, that yeah, match like, does not yeah, count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah no, like the real holy grail of wrestling matches. Yes, the, the, literally the only uh, amazing... Like, you know, what is the... the I'm trying to think of it, too. The, the 
Ah, uh, fuck, I can't remember it. The That weird shark cage cage match that eventually WWE put up on their uh, YouTube. The last Battle of Atlanta. Um, that's gone. You know, that Holy Grail is gone. The last true Holy Grail match in wrestling history is uh, <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. versus Boar, which I think that you can just buy online from Attack, but when we're talking about Holy yeah, Grail... Yeah, but we, 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 we have a slack bit to commit yes. to, so we, can't, so, we can't, so we can't say Yes, that. exactly. But uh, but yeah, so, so Zack versus Boar was one of two uh, Zack matches in Attack. Um, interesting, they're both against Bird and Boar, who, who after this point become a, a pretty formidable tag team. Um, this match, I mean... Comparatively, like I said, this is in between the two attack shows we've reviewed. The last attack show we reviewed had a, a Morgan Webster match where I said that he looked shaky and backyardy and indie, and here he looks great. I mean, he's not even just that everything he hits is pretty smooth. It, on top of looking smooth, this is like we don't get this level of aggression and violence from Morgan in progress mm. until much much later when he when he start when he starts doing that strangler, which uh, was an ill fated variation of Matt Hardy's ice pick from a if you were a TNA fan. Um, he, he busts out the strangler, and then we start getting this more aggressive. But even here, we get some of those headbutts from Morgan, which we don't see in progress until that point afterwards where he turns up the aggression. We see some of those headbutts. Not the same kind of, you know, popularized by Timmy, Timothy Thatcher, hands at the sides, big slap, kind of uh, shoot-style headbutt. I mean, it's not a shoot, but it looks more like a shoot than the kind where you've got the hand on the guy's head and you're clearly headbutting your own arm. Um, but he does. it's still very, very similar. You know, it, it has the same snap. But it doesn't have the the same like delivery system. He's being a little bit more safe um, here. So it is interesting to say that. Like you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm gonna say like I was a little bit wrong to say in that you know four way match with all those other guys that uh, that Webster was you know was not up to it technically because here he shows that he is good. He can deliver. I think it was a confidence thing. I think that early on progress was probably a little bit intimidating for him. And this to this point, I think this was Attack's biggest show in front of the biggest crowd biggest building that they had ran um but he felt he you could clearly see he felt a lot more comfortable he's also in here with a guy he's a lot more familiar with um someone who can definitely base for him super well someone who also can kind of fill in the notes and really helped him to like i said turn up that aggression i mean we're seeing to me i'm seeing we don't see this level of aggression from webster in progress until way down the line after this i think after the injury um where he gets that big shoulder yeah. injury and comes back and then that's where we start to see this from him um if he had hit the ground running in progress with this kind of aggression, I think I would have been more apt to see why progress was pushing him so hard to begin with. So interesting stuff here. I, I went back and read an old review from the time the crowd chants deal, deal or no deal at uh, at Morgan Webster, uh, because I guess at this point he had been on a UK version of that show. Um, so that was why they were chanting deal or no deal at him. And that's, he says, there's another thing about the confidence off the cuff. He goes, no deal. So it's like, yeah, he's, he feels comfortable to play with the crowd that way to go back and forth. The crowd's chanting ginger Jesus slash Jesus sucks. That's a lot of fun. Like the big splash mountain bomb into the, uh, or BT bomb, whatever you want to call it into the Rana spot looks great. Poison Rana from Webster after that looks fantastic. Um, when he went up top and went for the 450. Morgan did I thought that he was going to go for uh, the 630 and I was trying to remind myself like does Morgan do a 630 and then he hits the or he goes for the 450 but misses and I was like oh maybe I'm wrong and he never did a 630 but then he follows it up and, and wins the match with the 630 so he he could do a 630 even at this point like seeing him here I can get why progress wanted to push him so early on but it's funny because we don't get this Morgan Webster in progress until way down the line it's like you can see what they saw in him because you can kind of see that they want him to be the next. They want him. They want him. They want him to be the next Osprey. Right. Like, 
you can like so you can, you can kind of see that in there, but like, I think like you said like as opposed to like Osprey like just being ready from the time that they like they, that they decided like you know what we're gonna go with this guy, Morgan just like never had that same confidence. And he, so, and he's not an just, Osprey just, like you said they want him to be the next Osprey yeah. but he's not Osprey. Like I said, the aggression and kind of some of that other, like the headbutts and that stuff, like that works for him a little bit better than kind of what works for Osprey. Right, even like the fire, like even like he doesn't even have, he doesn't even have, he didn't never had the fire that even like a twenty a twenty fifteen Osprey had, which is like and that's not Morgan's fault. That's just not like what he is as a wrestler. He's not like a he's not a super emotive person, um, in that regard. But I've always liked the stuff that he did, like his art, like his arm drag variations, the way he did uh. The way they do like the, the tilt worlds and head scissors and all that kind of stuff, I always enjoyed that stuff from him because he did it in a more unique way than most people did at the time. But I think he nailed it. it a lot of it was confidence, and then here being in somewhere where it's like it's less pressure, being in, being in there with someone that you've known for a long time, and just like feeling more comfortable to be yourself. I think like now you say like oh like you like Morgan's super talented. He's a super talented guy, but. As far as everything else, like the progress wanted him to be, like it was definitely like asking a lot in a short in a, in a short amount of time. He goes from winning MPS like pretty like pretty like pretty like relatively soon, then he's out there being in title being in title matches. So like he's a he's a guy that if they would have slowed it down a little bit more, who knows who knows what what his career could have been. Um, but like you said, this does go on a little long, but it's a lot. It's very action filled. I like the near falls. I admit, I love I love the action here. I love the bumping. Like I said, the sequences are great. Uh, Poison Ronas can always be wonky or go any kind of way, and they nail theirs perfectly. And it just looks like two guys that know each other very well. Like I remember when I watched Wild Boar versus Osprey from Dear Maria Tag Me In, which is obviously the best show name of all time. <laughs> and I just like the, like my main thoughts like wow like these two just like know each other on a like a insane level and granted like that came from like you know like more like more like bet like backyard stuff than like uh, coming up together in this in a scene and doing all this together but it's that same thing i got here it's like wow like you can just tell that these guys have known each other for a long time watching watching them wrestle yeah definitely and i don't know that uh that bird is a yard guy but i know that webster was a yard guy so you know he's part yeah. of that same scene he yarded with all those uh, with all the same i guess they don't call it yarding in england what do they call it the uh garden or whatever they, they they don't they don't call it uh like their their yard their backyard either way that, that doesn't really matter um follow that up so we get so would, would they be <coughs> would they be gardeners yeah they're like, they're gardeners I think it'd be here. yeah that's very odd <laughs> um but uh, yeah I, it's, I think it's I I've know I've heard someone say it they said like garden wrestling or whatever like they because they don't they don't really use the term yard the same way that we do um. Either way, follow this up with a uh, trios tag team match. We get two like tag team matches back to back. Where when you were talking about that, this is like serious show. These are like kind of both kind of comedy gimmick heavy, but when it comes to the actual in ring wrestling, are both like really solid. Like I mean, they're not they're not just throwaway matches. They on top of just having like good execution, they're they're fun and funny, and they have some spots that are entertaining. But they also have like some storyline and some. So a little bit of depth to them as well. I mean, this the the tag team match after this a little bit more, um, but this match as well has like a little bit more to it than just like oh it's you know comedy whatever. Um, we get uh, Danny Jones and the Love Making Demon, um, who were a regular tag team at the time. 
uh, as the Boogie Knights, um, and they're teaming up with Robbie X Pac, I think is basically what his gimmick is here, um, and they are doing like a DX thing. I think that the the I saw a review somewhere that said that they announced themselves because we don't get it on the on the VOD here, but the the Smooch Age Outlaws, which I don't really get how that's a a pun, but whatever. Um, and they're going up against um, old. Papa Sunflower and Wonderland of Wrestles, um, Ramses, who I could not find any information on, and I was very interested because he was kind of good, and we may have even talked about him in the past on another show, and I don't remember, and Super Santos Jr., which I, from what I was able to find somewhere, is Dan Maloney in the mask, um, and I don't, what's, yeah, I, yeah, I, I was trying to figure out who that was. <laughs> yeah, and what's really fucking weird about Attack, throughout all this time, it's like, after this point, I pretty much watched all Attack shows for a long time. Don't really remember seeing much of old Poppy Sunflower ever again. And, like, the Super Santos Sr. and then Super Santos Jr. and all the Santos stuff. Like, I don't remember seeing the story of how any of that is connected. All I remember is eventually there's an anti-fun police that has, you know, Super Santos Jr. Who's not Dan Maloney. It's a different guy. You know what I mean? So I was just like, I don't quite know what the fucking deal is there <laughs> like uh, i've you, 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 you kind of just gotta let it happen right i've always like i've always kind of like figured that the thing was is that i did i there was a lot of old attack that i didn't watch and that's why i don't understand the because i've like looked through the stuff like the the history and been like oh there's these these gimmick names and all this stuff and it's like oh who i wonder who those people were underneath the masks and all that stuff like and what the gimmicks were and what the connection was storyline wise but then i'm like wait like seeing this and then putting it into perspective i'm like wait like i watched when there should have been the explanation of the whole santos thing and i don't remember any of it so it's just like whatever now i'm just gonna not try to act like oh it's from the past and i don't understand it i'm just gonna accept that like it was never explained um yeah speaking of, of, of like yeah questioning the gimmick at this point i wonder because I do know, I heard this somewhere, that uh, there was a lovemaking demon at a time that was Chuck Mambo. Um, and I wonder if that's who this is here, because that would be very interesting. That, 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 was, that was confirmed. Okay. That was confirmed, because like, even, even Chuck Mambo um, did, like, did stuff playing off of it, like online and like in matches and stuff. Yeah. So like, that, that, that was a confirmed thing. Yeah, like, well, I just, I know that he was at one point, but I just wonder if he always was. I guess he always was. So, yeah, so this lovemaking demon is, uh, is is Chuck Mamba, which is interesting, because uh, always seeing him in, as a lovemaking demon in Attack, I always thought that he was really good, and it was, like, it was interesting because I was not a huge fan of him in progress at this time. Um, eventually, I, I did grow to appreciate what he was doing, but uh, but I liked him. I liked him so much more as the lovemaking demon when I also didn't even know who the fuck he was. Um, either way, Quentin, what did you think of the match itself? I know it's just like good, like like go back to like see these see these gimmicks again. Uh, I think I think we forget like how long some of these guys have been in attack, and I think like that was like the big thing here. Like you mentioned, lovemaking demon. It's like wow, like lovemaking demon. Like had like had like a really had like a pretty strong run there for a while. Um, like you forget, like because Danny Jones kind of gets like position, gets position as a new guy. Like Danny Jones has been an attack guy for a while, and I think that we kind of like see like someone like finally get like get a push or a singles push, and we're just like, oh man, where, where'd this guy, where this guy all of a sudden come from? And it's like, no, Danny Jones has been there this whole time. Yeah. Um, so I think that's so I think that was my takeaway is like seeing certain guys and just remembering like, 
oh yeah, like now they're being positioned like they're like see like these new young stars. And granted, like they're not old guys. Like Danny Jones is far from old. Like Robbie X is still like pretty young. But seeing them here four years ago as low as like opening act lower card guys and now to see them like positioned sometimes as like the new main eventers of the attack scene it's like man like like it's not like you get these like, these are just new people here but but but, but i admire how, how you're trying to make it seem like that right they, i mean they did a good job i mean danny jones is a guy who i think that uh in the uk wrestling scene kind of gets um is able to be perpetually fresh because he spends so much time in Japan. Like at this point yeah. he does often on tours in all Japan and has for years at this point that it's like, yeah, like he doesn't really get stale in the UK because he's, he's always kind of off doing other things. Um, and you talk about like Robbie X isn't that old, but like he feels right now, especially he feels like the old hand that's kind of helping, uh, uh, Ricky Knight jr. Uh, kind of, get to show off as he like wrestles against him or tags with him in bigger promotions now and you're like oh like he's the uh, you know he's his vet he's his uh shaw samuels or or um or trent seven but yeah like he's not he's not realistically that old like robbie x is is yeah. relatively young too fuck 25 years old i just looked it up robbie x 25 jesus christ he's he's like almost that's 10 years saying, younger like, than me <laughs> yeah he's been wrestling forever like robbie, x, like robbie x only been is only two years older than me it's like he kind of got like I don't know what happened either because he was because he's good yeah because like and he was always good but like after MPS it just like progress decided like eh, I'm not interested and like I don't know what happened there it do- he's a he's another one of these weird ones he's one of these ones like Dean Allmark where I just like I assume that like he does a bunch of camp shows but I don't know that that's true and he's one of those guys who like isn't trying to get bookings but like why the fuck don't you book Robbie X why the fuck don't you book Dean Allmark more like why is the only like UK indie promotion that anyone talks about, like PCW, that books Dean Allmark regularly. Robbie X too, actually. I think it's doesn't make any fucking sense because they're both really good. Like they should be everywhere. And Rev Pro was starting, like I said, to use Robbie X a little bit more, especially with Ricky Knight Jr. So maybe they were going to like do something with him. That would have been interesting to see. Um, but yeah, seeing all these gimmicks. Old Old Papa Sunflower was he the same thing for you? Where he was like a, an attack guy that you had heard about but never really saw much of? Because that's how I've always thought of him. Yeah, for sure. It probably, like, predated me, like, a little bit. I remember seeing, like, I remember seeing him, like, once or twice, but then, like you said, he just, like, after this, you don't really see him that much, that much more after that, because right at this point, then me and you are buying, every, are pretty much buying every show, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's he's pretty much gone Yeah, after this. And I don't know, because he's another one that I think, like, some of the times that I saw him, he was, like, much taller, which leads me to believe that it's, like, a different person just wearing the mask randomly. Um, I think that I saw a match once with Old Papa Sunflower where I, I was pretty sure it was Eddie Dennis just based on the size of the guy. Um, so, yeah, so like stuff like that where you're just like, is this just a mask that they have or an outfit that they have that every now and then they just put on somebody to fill out the card? I mean, I, I guess that's not the dumbest thing. I've always said that that's like one of the things like obviously Quack, pretty smart in general. But one of the smartest things that I always thought about Quack's kind of school of, of wrestling and training is like, when you're early on and you're not that good, wear a fucking mask so that, like, years down the line, people don't, like, remember that you were shitty when you were just training. Like, it's... Oh, that's no, a- no, Trump, like, that, no, 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 that's genius. Yeah. That's, like, that's really fucking smart. Yeah, because it's, like, if, that way, like, you can take off... Once you're good, you just take off the mask and then no one knows who the fuck you are, you know? Like, okay, cool. Like, 
like no one like no one has to acknowledge like it's not that he was not like he's terrible like no one has to acknowledge the fact that Ricochet was fucking Helios like no one has to acknowledge that ever right like you just like, you could just like skip over that part of history yeah it's like one like one guy who kind of gets hurt by it is uh, Andrews because. Chiva Kid was actually, like, really good and popular, and, like, I don't think everyone thinks of Chiva Kid as uh, Andrew Everett. I said Andrews, but I meant Andrew Everett. Um, you know what I mean? And it's, like, it's kind of a bummer because he doesn't get credit for being, like, kind of a groundbreaking guy who was on, like, the first National Pro Wrestling Day show and was, like, one of the first, like, touring indie stars and, like, no one really, you know, equates that with Andrew Everett, you know? Or, 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 the, or like... Another thing is like the ants, like yeah, because like everyone, everyone just like, oh my god, Orange Cassidy's so good. And it's like, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was like obviously no one, like no, it's no secret. It's like you fucking fire him. It was yeah. like, like, but yeah, it's like, man, like Orange Cassidy's amazing. Where, where's he been this whole time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, ah damn! This fucking Drew Gulak guy. <laughs> never heard of that guy. Um, or even the silver ant slash green ant thing. Green ant was always the best one to me because it's like, yeah, you put a guy who's green under the green ant thing, and then, and then yeah. no one sees that like he sucks. <laughs> and then years later, they're like, hey, who's this hot sauce guy who signed a contract with ROH and you haven't seen wrestle in like two years? Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. What did you think? Okay, overall trios match fun. Shay get Shay gets to hit a flying head scissors. Good stuff. Ramsey's, I wonder who or what he is. If you know, if someone knows, can you, like, tell me who the fuck this guy is? Because he was actually kind of good. Yeah, at least, at least he was on this show. Yeah, exactly. Um, follow this up. Uh, this is a match that I think, I mean, would work out pretty well for you because you, uh, you know, famously hate fun. So the anti-fun police are right up your alley. And you uh, also yeah. famously hate Ricky Shane Page. So you get to see the anti-fun police beating up uh, Ricky Shane Page. This is uh, obviously a match that you loved here. Um, Sebastian Radclaw, another guy who kind of doesn't show up much in attack after this. Uh, yeah, this, 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 this one, I think this is one of the last times we see him. Yeah, which is interesting. He's doing kind of a Rick Steiner gimmick with the, um, with the stuffed animal. He's another one that I remember seeing. I remember weirdly there was a time where one of the websites like ProFight Data or ProFight DB or, or Wrestling Data, ProFight DB or Cage Match listed um, Kid Lycos as being Sebastian Radclaw, which I always thought was really odd because I'm like, they're very clearly not the same guy, but who am I? Oh, 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 oh by the way, yeah, this this is Radclaw's last match listed on, uh, on Cage Match. Oh, goddamn. So maybe that's why they brought back the Uncle... Egbert gimmick here because he's returning from the dead according to uh, the announcements um, and he comes out to spooky smoke and all this stuff and maybe that's it that they're doing a retirement match for Se for Sebastian Radclaw here unless he did switch over to a masked gimmick that people don't know um, who he was because like I said there was a time where he was listed as being Kid Lycos which was clearly not correct because he he, he was an attack Radclaw was an attack guy from, from 2012 yeah he's on the uh He's on. He's on his first matches against like Damian Dunn from 2012 here. So like, yeah, he, he might have just like said fuck it and just like I'm gonna put myself under some gimmick or whatever. Yeah, I can't think of who he would be. Could could he be Splits McPins? I I think that someone told me who Splits McPins was before, and I he's too he's too he's too like yeah he's a little bit shorter. Thick. Yeah, like, like, yeah, he's too short to be Splits. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know who the fuck he would be, but. Either way, like, yeah, he was a an Attack original type guy, disappeared. I mean, maybe just like M.K. McKinnon, like, he's doing something else with his life, you know? Um, and could be, and yeah. he could show back up at some point. Uh, he'd be an interesting one to show back up because I think that right now, I mean, 
if there was wrestling in the UK, he would be a guy that would be like over because like you know people who remember would remember him and then be like, oh yeah, that guy, I remember him. Either way, okay, Tim, right. Tim, you're 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 skipping over the most important part of this uh, yes. equation. Um, Ryan Smiles here. Ryan Smile as part of the Anti Fun Police. Yes. Um. Um. So can we can we be honest here? Like I feel like enough time has passed. Like can we be like. Can we admit that Ryan Smile was good again? Can, like, can, we, yes. can we at least admit... Okay, can we admit this? <laughs> Ryan Smile was fucking awesome. I loved My, Ryan Smile. Ryan Smile, was a, Ryan Smile was a very good wrestler. I liked... <laughs> I was super high on Ryan Smile. I specifically remember, like, on the... I think it was, like, IPW UK Ryan Smile versus Matt Riddle match that I was, like, fucking... Yeah. Uh, I adored. I thought it was just so phenomenal. Like, yeah, I mean... The, the Ryan Smile in a, in a Marty, Marty Skrull blow-off match from OTT. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Smile was really good. I don't even know... Like, he's one of these guys who gets painted as being problematic, but, like, I don't know that he publicly has he, done he, anything. He said, he, said some shit on, he said some shit on Twitter that... I think he might say. He, he, I think he might have said something homophobic on Twitter. Just like made like some shitty joke on Twitter, right? And then, um, pretty much got ran out. Um, I guess like the stuff of Lucha Forever and then whatever other uh, whatever other shit he had going on. And then like recently he came back, so and, and like pretty much like laid everything on the table, apologized for stuff. Um, said he like he just didn't handle things well. Like some things like he tried to like give like the whole story on. Um. And pretty much it's going to be a thing of, like, look, if you want to, like, forgive him, you can forgive him. If you don't, then, like, whatever. But he seemed like a guy that, like, he seemed like a pretty earnest apolo- apology. And, like, if anyone wants to, like, use him again, they can use him again. But, like, yeah, it, it was it was a time when Ryan, when Ryan Smile, like, was supposed to be, like, one of the next big guys. If you remember, because um, like, people wound up pulling out of this match. I think, like... Remember when, remember the Elite Tour when they came, when they cause went all over Europe? Yes! Yeah, so and he got. Was, re- I think. Uh, yeah, he 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 was one of the he was one of the replacements because I think it was supposed to be like Osprey, Shane Strickland, and like Ricochet versus versus uh versus the Bucks, and then it winds up being Will Osprey, I think Leo Rush, and Ryan Smile. Yeah, the Bucks. And it's like it's it's like you forget that like Ryan Smile was like in like really prominent positions at one point, and like he was one of Osprey's best friends. And it's like it's like man like you could like it's it's how'd you fuck that up? He was I mean yeah he was in he was in the position he I remember when he when he won the OTT title from uh, I think from Pete Dunn it was like feeling like he was gonna be yeah from Pete he was gonna be the thing um and then pretty quickly drops it and then pretty I mean that was even before everything went like completely stupid he was showing up in RPW more. And like was he, he got he got he got the cruiserweight title there for a little bit. Yeah, it was, and he got put in that elite that elite tag team match. So it was like, okay, like something might happen with this guy. He seems like he might. I think he did like a. He was on the co promoted. Yeah, he was on the co promoted show with um with New Japan, and it was like, okay, I could see. I could see him showing up maybe in a best of the Super Juniors or something. Oh 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 oh, Leo Rush, Leo Rush, Ryan Smile. And um, Osprey, that was Scrappermania three, but but oh it was, okay, but Epic Encounter, which is the ref pro one, that was Leo Rush, Ryan Smiley, and Shane Strickland. Okay, okay, all right, yeah, and I think that he was a replacement in the in the ref pro he, one. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, which is like, uh, yeah, like okay, okay, it was seeming like there was something. Pro- he was never a progress guy, and I had heard that there was like a 
a heat progress actively said pro, yeah that was that was active heat they yeah. actively said like yeah we're not we're not booking this guy yeah there was like a, a heat issue there obviously osprey being like if, with will osprey saying this is my like problematic friend that definitely means something you know because progress or because will osprey is pretty uh pretty problematic in his own right in a lot of ways um so yeah, like and and he left. I think you know. There's. I think Osprey tweeted something out recently that was kind of like no bad blood or whatever between them, but that like Ryan Smile kind of left him holding the bag with the Lucha Forever stuff. Um, you could yeah, because like remember because Ryan Smile disappeared, right? So like every everyone then come looking at Osprey and like, look man, like I believe Osprey when he says like, dude, I had nothing to do with the Lucha Forever business, right? Like. It was just like part like I, I would just like use like my name for the branding because like look my name is valuable and we can do something here. I believe Osprey one hundred percent when he says like look, I had nothing to do with a, with a lot of that shit that happened. I believe him. Yeah, yeah. So that whole thing and I mean looking back on it now, it's like they they folded before it all happened. But like a big part of their business was going to be the Flow Slam deal, and that fell apart afterwards. So even if they had stuck around, they would have probably went out of business. Well, yeah, they, they, they would have yeah, they'd have been fucked either way. But. Yeah. Like, I, I, I guess, like, now, like, with Ryan coming back, like, Osprey, like, addressing that, it's like, yeah, I mean, like, he kind of, like, we kind of, like, left Osprey in a position to kind of, like, to look like a shithead there, where, like, there's there's plenty of things to criticize Osprey about, but that was one thing I always thought, like, no, I I, I believe well on that one, that Ryan yeah. Smile was probably handling that more than him. Right. And another another part of the progress thing that's interesting is uh, Ryan Smile's uh, girlfriend, I don't know if they're still together, but at the time, his girlfriend, uh, Alex Windsor, was, like, getting prominently featured and booked in, in progress, mm-hmm. and they were like, no, we're not going to book Ryan Smile. She even got, like, a cup of coffee in NXT UK. I wonder if she's still signed. I think she was signed with them at one point. And I always thought that she was pretty good. She should have uh, She should have got more of a shot. We'll see. Uh, when wrestling, when wrestling starts again, I mean, like she, no, nah, she, um, did she retire? Well, apparently, she's been gone for. Apparently, she's been gone for a while too. Like, so, like her last uh, wrestling at all is fucking um, twenty seventeen, and uh, again, and, and and Bellatrix. Okay. Oh, jeez. Okay. Well, it's not the worst, but it's not. It's not like huge, right? Um. Yeah. So this tag team match, the only person who we haven't really talked about at all is Damian Dunn. Um, this is kind of not the very, very start, but pretty early on for the anti-fun police. Um, he's getting into the gimmick and, uh, yeah, making it work. I mean, from here, he becomes the champion. He becomes, like, the feature of the promotion for a long time. Um, which, like, me, which me, you talk, talk, talk about that period, and it's like, it's not that, it's not that, like, I, I, I'm opposed to, like, some, like, big heel, like, faction ruling over attack. It's just that the matches just were, like, too much, right? In terms of like, like, like having like the main events be this all the time. Just like, oh yeah, like, it just got really, it just got really. Tired, it's so. kind of like it's it's a weird comparison, maybe to some people, but I think it's definitely it. It's like the it's kind of the talking points that everyone had about Finn Balor as the um, junior heavyweight champion in uh, in New Japan, where like every one of his big matches had so much fucking bullshit and hoopla and all that, and it was just like the same thing every time, and it was really rubbing people the wrong way, especially that best of the super juniors where he like went completely undefeated with every match having some kind of interference. But it's like imagine that, and it's not just like the junior champion, but it's like literally the main event of every show. It does get mm-hmm. sickening. It gets to a point where you're just like completely tired of it, and a lot of people could not fucking stand it. A lot of people talked a lot of shit about that time period. I always thought that it was fine. But uh, a lot of people really did not like it. That said, back to what kind of the same reference that I made earlier about the tag team matches being like kind of goofy comedy. Like this was definitely had some some comedy ness to it. But uh, 
But the wrestling was solid. I thought that everyone was like everyone looked professional in between like doing some jokey stuff. I thought Ricky Shane Page doing the old school kind of rope walk thing with the cane, fucking beautiful. I loved it. Like I, I, that's such a funny spot. Ricky Shane Page having the giant tag rope that was fucking awesome. Like that was so. There's a lot of like fun, stupid little things in here, right? Um, again, right. the anti fun police really had not gotten the gimmick yet. Like there was none of the kind of the anti fun police gimmicks up like their stick here there was not there was not much of it like I, part of it is the crowd like the anti-fun police when they really start to hit it's a lot of interactions directly with the crowd you know like when when they get going and the crowd starts chanting fun and then they're like no 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 we have to stop like the crowd didn't really quite hit their spots all the time here and everything um mm. that in some ways it's bad in some ways it's good because the anti-fun police matches then turned into a lot of stuff with like super santos jr having the gun all the time and doing the gun spots constantly which really kind of wore thin for me eventually but so yeah like ryan smile was good i thought damian dunn was fine ricky shane page had some cool spots sebastian radclaw was like you know he did what he did he's fine and then actually the post-match thing kind of makes more sense i I didn't understand why they did the backs to the crowd lift up the fist thing, um, especially with Radclaw holding the, uh, the the teddy bear, which I don't know what he calls his stuffed animal, but uh, I think I did at one point when I don't anymore. Either way, because that's like probably if this was Sebastian's or yeah, Sebastian Radclaw's retirement, that was uh, that was the Undertaker raising the fist thing. Yeah, he's he's leaving, so that was kind of I didn't even think about that. Yeah, cause, cause, yeah cause remember, cause remember um. Rookie came out to Undertaker's theme yeah. for the first half of his entrance. So yeah. So yeah. So uh, yeah. Like I said, fine stuff, and and could just be a throwaway comedy match, and and I could definitely see people seeing it that way. It didn't overstay its welcome. It was relatively quick, and the wrestling that actually happened all was done, you know, professionally. Everything was like good. They didn't like have any really mistimed anything. Nothing looked bad. Or sh- you know, it's not like jokey comedy wrestlers who can't wrestle. It's like wrestlers who can wrestle doing some funny bits here and there that was kind of this match um follow this up with uh the kind of for me what i remember at the time is the main event of the show um kind of wrong in some regards because after this we actually get some better stuff but this was one of the rare good and especially extra rare european indie ladder matches that's actually good like british ladder matches always suck because they don't get the right kind of ladders they're like they're always rickety the spots look like stupid like nobody really does anything one 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 person has to hold the ladder (laughs) yeah exactly there's so much dog shit but these guys they they not only do they have multiple good like normal ass ladders like obviously nobody except for wwe gets those like super premium ladders that are built for climbing on both sides but whatever at least they don't have like those weird ass ladders that are clearly built for like pruning trees and shit like the ones where like the one half is just a a, a post it's just like a stick (laughs) like it's not even like a ladder that you could actually open like an a-frame ladder like they have two a-frame ladders that are normal they have clearly another ladder that's like someone's trash that they've like has just been stuck in their shed forever that's really just meant for a spot to use it like a, as a bridge across the apron and the guardrail which is fine like you know like it it served its role it was like they didn't have to waste a good ladder and uh, it, it delivered on a pretty cool spot um there's some kick-ass spots here especially i thought that that uh 
Nixon going for the dive off the ladder to the floor was awesome, and then following it like r- directly afterwards with Mark Andrews hitting this crazy ass moonsault off the balcony was really was yeah. done well to like show the like like increasing insane spots like that was super cool like yeah I mean if you want to get into it go ahead and uh, and give some thoughts here Quentin but I I thought that this was really good for especially a British indie ladder match like this was good oh yeah that's definitely over overachieved considering all the things going against it but like you're going against like two super smart wrestlers in CCK and then Nixon and Mark are two of the best baby faces of the decade so like it's almost like a match that's like foolproof even regardless of like how like terrible the equipment might be a lot of time when it comes to like British gimmick matches and but you know you know that you know you know, you know that on the head there is that a lot of the spots just like increased in violence and danger and nuttiness and it just it just felt good to see to see all that stuff again just to see like the chemistry between Brooks and Nixon one more time to sit there and see Lycos again and Lycos before he's like before he's like starts wearing the bodysuit so just like get weird like no shirt Lycos with <laughs> like the, with the body paint and um just like the like the base side high like gear and everything it's just like it was just like a welcome sight to see and I was it was just like one of those things where it's just like super fun and just reminds you like man like Nixon's so great Mark is so great, and it's a shame that like in WWE, like they haven't like really been like gotten to be those, those people yet, and really just CCK and like how much I miss seeing Lycos and how much and, like, and this is still early stages of CCK, so they're not they haven't entirely figured this thing out yet, but just like how much energy Lycos still brought, even at this early stage, just he 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 was really good, man. Yeah, this was I mean. Again, this was done super well. I think that the only negatives you could look at is there was a little bit of the, like, too much, especially from, I think, Andrews, the, like, too over-the-top, like, I, I can't climb a ladder. I just, I'm so out of it, but it's, like, too, it's, like, just too much. But, like, that's, like, the only real takeaway. Even, they even did a really good job of, like, not uh, really getting over-the-top with, like, a long period of, like, just doing increasingly nutty spots with, like, nothing in between. You know, where, like, a lot of ladder matches can get that, where it's just, like, they end up, where it's just, like, okay, let's, like, set up a, a situation, hit a big spot, and then everybody's down on the mat for a long time, and we don't do anything else except for then going to the next time we do a big spot like that. And they only did that, like, a couple times, and realistically, they did it really well to set up to the big final, which was Nixon, uh, I think, pulling Brooks off the ladder into a cutter, which was done super well. So it's, like, yeah, and then you, and then you, from there, you they finish up the match Nixon gets the belts you talked about it I mean Nixon and Mark Andrews two of the best baby faces in general in wrestling especially at this time and then even to this day if they do ever like start doing intergender tag team wrestling more in WWE which it feels like there's a little bit of like teasing that they might do something right now I think that there's like a couple couples that are feuding um in NXT with Gargano and uh Gargano and and um Candice, I think that they're maybe starting up a feud with Keith Lee and Mia Yim, and then I've heard some people rumor that like obviously where you go from there next is Gargano and Candice feuding with a uh, with Cross and and Scarlet, um, which like you know could be fun, but like yeah if 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 intergender wrestling becomes a thing in WWE intergender tag teams especially, I mean. Bayside Heights in WWE and NXT would fucking be awesome. Could you imagine, imagine yeah. Gargano and Candice wrestling Bayside Heights? Like, oh my fucking god, that would rule. 
like, like even just getting to see Nixon and Candace wrestle, wrestle each other again. It's like, yeah. But yeah, especially yeah. So yeah, I mean, good stuff. I I really like the dynamic of the teams. Like you you talked about the Brooks and and Nixon chemistry, which is really good, especially coming off of them them having been a tag team for so long. But it was like. It's so awesome to have Nixon be able to basically get bullied by by Brooks, which was like kind of the storyline of not not even just their feud, but also it was the story of their tag team. Like them as a tag team, the uh, the Vulture Squad was kind of a was kind of about like uh, Brooks being a little bit domineering towards Nixon, even as his tag team partner. And then now he's brought in this little pissant Lycos who feels like he's come out of nowhere to like be his replacement for Nixon, but like he's able to be less imposing than Nixon. So like Nixon can kind of bully him a little bit. So it's like nice because Nixon is not just purely like, you know, Oh, she's the woman she gets beat up. Like she has somebody that she can pick on and then she gets picked on. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, it was a really great dynamic all around. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so the one thing I want to say, it has nothing to do with this match. It just has to do with Nixon Newell and it's always in my fucking head. So I just want to reference it. I remember her being on, Flash Morgan Webster's podcast, and she talked about um, when she first started wrestling that her trainer told her she had to go by a different name, which was like something stupid like Miss something, I can't remember what it was, because uh, she wanted to be Nixon Newell, and he said that people would chant, uh, she was Miss Ruby, was her, her name, that people would chant Nick's on, Nickers off, right, would be the reason why she can't be Nixon Newell. Which is very stupid, right? Obviously, because it's like, why? It's like, it's like, that's very specific. Yeah, it's like, why would you? So the thing is, is that ever since I remember hearing that, the thing that I always thought was like, sure, that would be bad. But I could imagine the British crowd, you know how they like to sing? That they would sing, we want to stick our dicks in, Nixon. Like, that would be way worse. (laughs) That's like the ultimate worst case scenario. So it's like, if you're going to (laughs) predict, yeah. Because if you're gonna go from like, like, like Nicks to Nickers, it's like all right, that's like sort of like just, just, just a little bit of a reach, right? Like, yours just kind of like rolls off the rolls off. The it does. Too well. it, it's. I mean, the crowd would they would be they would love to sing it. The UK crowd loves to sing. Um, it was. I was looking up the tag team title history here, and it's really funny because this match is the first defense. Of CCK's first defense of the tag team titles. They lose it. They had the titles for like a month, a little bit longer than a month. Um, and this is the first time that they defend the t- Actually, no, it wasn't a month. It was like close to three months that they had the tag team titles. And this is their first defense. They follow this up with Bayside Heights winning the titles. Um, they also have the titles for like five months. Um, and they only defend them one time and lose them back to CCK. Um, so it's just really funny to think because after that is when CCK loses the titles to Bolarama. And that's when the tag team titles f- feel like they become the focus yeah, of attack. Yeah, be a Bolarama then Bolarama then then has an actual. Run. Yeah, and it feels like like that they are the focus and the most important like the main event act of the company. Their storyline about like saving the bowling center, as goofy as it is, is like the thing that seems important. Bolarama becomes like probably the most overact in the company as CCK becomes the most hated heels when they finally eventually win the, the tag team titles back from them and blow up the Bolarama. Like, I mean, they're just terrible, terrible heels. Um, and then after that is they lose the tag team titles to Aussie open. It's so crazy to think like how 
they were like the tag team titles were kind of an afterthought so much so that people could like hold the titles for months on end but never defend them and then turn around and like they become the most important thing on the show and then really quickly after that like with a year after this Ozzy Open win the tag team titles and it's like you know the tag team titles again like they feel like they could be the most important thing on the show um from that point moving forward in attack the tag division i mean for a, a big period of time where me and you were watching attack a lot like the the tag team titles were like the kind of the star attraction of the company um in a lot of ways so it's really interesting to think about about that um follow this up with two guys who we have been we we just reviewed last week kind of i guess one of them didn't have a match last week but uh but he did show up travis banks versus tyler Bate. we don't see the intro but based like off of what we said about travis banks being like super serious and not letting himself look bad in progress at all um they show a little you know piece of the entrance and then you see before the match starts that he's doing a little dancing so we're getting um super sexy travis banks which becomes the big you know his gimmick after he leaves the anti-fun police again um so i didn't even realize that banks was doing the stupid sexy travis banks character in attack before the anti-fun police i didn't even remember that um so when he was doing it after the Fun Police, he was actually just going back to that. And he's taking on Tyler Bate, who... Tyler Bate has some thick-ass thighs, boy. <laughs> like, this guy does not skip yeah. leg day. Um, and yeah, I mean, Quentin, what did you think of this match? Um, it's just... Yeah, the, the, main, the main thing here is just... How much more comfortable Travis seems in his, seems in his own skin... Here, as opposed to like when it, whenever he's in progress, and it feels like when he's in progress, he has to put on like the like the tough like the tough guy act. Where I think, I think like, we we talk about like the like the relationship that with Davy and like Davy would go through the same thing. Where it's like the Davy the Davy we got in like PWG isn't the same Davy we got in ROH. And I think I think that uh, there was a, there was a similar thing going on here with like Travis Banks and Fight Club Pro and Attack, and the Travis Banks that we got like. In progress, or even in like Rev Pro, and uh, and, and that, that that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing too. It's like oh, like I know when I know when to turn it on. I know when to be serious. I know when uh, when comedy isn't suitable. And on some level, that's like a admirable admirable trait to have. But it's just something that this like really sticks out like a sore thumb with Travis. Uh, this is Travis's third match in Attack by this point. His first was against Mark Andrews. His first, his second was against Mike Bird, and you know I think this is this was yeah for me this is like the first time. Wow, well, like oh look, Travis Banks is like really good, like he, or he or he can be really good. I think that the Bird and Andrews matches I thought they were pretty fine, but and we, and we talked about this when it came to uh, eventually how like progress would get a lot of their, a lot of their ideas from Fight from Fight Club Pro. Is that Travis Banks and Tyler like really kind of like help like helped each other? They kind of put like put each other on the map, and from their stuff in Attack to the stuff they got to do in Fight Club Pro, those guys went at it all the time and like really brought the best out of each other. And this is the first stage of that. You can already see like the chemistry they have, like the physicality, the selling, how much how much respect is there for each other's craft. It's all there already. And it just makes me excited to like go back and go back at some point and watch their other stuff with each other, because you can already see like the fireworks there, pretty much. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, and this is another thing. There's there's fun here, like the 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 kind of the it's the Joey Ryan, which is actually the Don Shakadino penis spot, but the, he does it with the mustache, um, where you know he's doing the uh, 
Travis Banks grabs the mustache and then and Tyler Bates is kind of flexing and, and overpowering him in a test of strength with his mustache. Like that's that kind of stuff is it's stupid and it's fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, fun, Tyler, Tyler Bates is an interesting guy to think about, dude, because like at this point he was like, you know, old timey muscle man, obviously like, uh, you know, he, he puts a lot of effort into, like I talked about, the, the fucking size of this dude's thighs are just insane. Like, the way he could airplane spin anyone. And I was, as I was watching this match, again, when I when I rewatched it for the, uh, for this podcast that we're doing now, um, that's a weird thing to even say. Um, like, I was thinking about just how, what the, 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 the way that Travis Banks was built and could, like, kind of do certain, like, impressive feats of strength, like... Tyler Bate could have been, like, the British John Cena. And I remember even, I think I've said this, and I had said it in the past at the time when he won the UK title. Like, WWE really could have presented him, like, very similarly to John Cena. And I think that he would have been able to pull it off super well. Because he's, in he's you know, he's this guy who, I mean, in a lot of ways, he's very similar. Really, really into wrestling. Got into bodybuilding and weightlifting super young. Um, can do these, like, freak of nature strength spots. And then over the past couple of years since he's been in WWE, it seems like he's like really focused on like he's toned up a lot. He's dropped a lot of mass. He doesn't have the same freakish level thighs. He's definitely still got the same insane level of strength. But like he focuses a lot more now on his fly- high flying, which is interesting. He's like lost a lot of weight. And he's like, I talked about it in the past, like in the past, like, you know, some of the WWE UK stuff that I saw from bait, like he could actually he could actually if he was like focused on it and and really like, worked on... He could probably be the best high flyer in wrestling. Just from, like, some of the stuff that you see him do. It's like, yeah, if he, like, right. really worked on this, like, he could be, like, the best high flyer. Like, he's got... Some about bait, man. He's, like... He's a freak. He's a freak athlete. It's, it's like the AJ Styles thing where it's, like... Like, whatever AJ Styles wanted to be, like, AJ Styles could have been that. Right. And I think that bait has that same quality. Yeah. Because it's, like, at this point, I think that he really was trying to just be John Cena. Like, in a lot of ways, you look at him and it's, like, I think that that's what he was going for. And I... I do think that he could have done it. Like, there's there's a lot of people who have tried and co- to copy it, and, like, they can't. But, like, he's got just enough goofy, just enough legit. He comes across, like, you know, that howdy-doody, like, all-American boy, even though he's British. He's the all-British boy or whatever. Like, he could definitely do the, like, babyface John Cena thing. Freak freak of nature, strength, all that stuff. Um, but then he turns around, and he's, like, focusing on his high-flying. And, like, some of this, I mean... Realistically, like, I think that he could put Osprey and Ricochet to shame if he really wanted to. Like, the only problem with Bate is that he's so squat and thick that, like, that's one of the things that I've always said about Osprey and Ricochet is that their their shit looks super impressive because they look very long and lean. And it makes it, like, so that when they do their high flying, it looks very impressive because you see this very long object doing these insane... It's, like, it's why ballerinas are very slim. It's why, like... Olympic divers are slim. People who do gymnastics, they tend to be slimmer, longer, leaner. Because when you do stuff with that body type, it looks more impressive. When you're a little bit shorter and squatter and you do this stuff, it doesn't it doesn't have that same grace. It doesn't look as impressive, unfortunately. But, like, the shit that Bate can do is fucking wild. Like, when you watch him, if he puts his mind to it, like you said, I think he definitely has that AJ Styles thing. Put your mind to it, and you could be the greatest in the world at it. AJ Styles is a weird one, too, because, man... If AJ Styles had decided to be like a shoot boy and just do like grappling, could you imagine what like? No, dude, imagine if AJ Styles like because he said he wrestled. He said he like one of the first sports he did was on amateur yeah. wrestling. Dude, imagine if AJ like, <laughs> kept amateur wrestling. Yeah. UWFI AJ. Imagine AJ shows up 
and uh, at some point Antonio Inoki gets his hands on him and we get like new wrestling like shoot style grappling uh, AJ Styles like my god but that could have been like, 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 like the AJ, one of, AJ one of those athletes where it's like and this is gonna sound fucking insane because like because he's like like regard, like like these, these two are like regards like the like two like maybe like the two best athletes of all time and like regards like how you want to feel about like uh like some people like like Will, like Will Chamberlain or whatever the fuck but like it's like some like Bo Jackson Deion Sanders shit where it's like AJ Styles like literally like you could drop him off at like seven eight years old in any sport and be like this is what you're gonna do for the rest of your life. AJ Styles become become AJ Styles because becomes one of the best ever to do that thing. Right. I really I really believe that. Like, if it's fucking basketball, he's like one of the like the best like defensive players of all time. Like like some like insane like energetic player plays baseball. Like just like one of the best outfielders or shortstops to ever live. Like football, he's a football. He's amazing. Wrestling, he's amazing. If you want to do MMA, he winds up being amazing. Like I really believe that. You drop AJ off at any sport and at, at any point in his life, he just, he becomes the best or one of the best ever to do that thing. Yeah, no, he's got he just has that natural like you said he's just got that natural athleticism and just like this ability. Uh, uh, there is an innate physical intelligence that I think people overlook and and I heard some people recently I can't remember where it was exactly it was probably like on some fucking like Vox Media podcast or whatever but they were talking about like intelligence and the way that like. Historically, we've measured the intelligence of animals in comparison to the same way that we measure intelligence in humans. And it's not really fair because animals or, you know, different creatures can have intelligence in different roles and different aspects that, like, maybe we don't, you know, appreciate or put a value on as humans because they're not necessary for us, but they are necessary for them, right? So there is, like, different forms of intelligence that, like, should be respected. And AJ Styles as, like, again, like an athletic, physicality, kinetic intelligence is, like, through the roof. So he's just got natural athleticism, and then he's also got the ability to see something physical and understand it and, like, understand how to execute it properly. Which is, like, you know, it's it's really admirable and, like, it's it's kind of insane to see. It's, like, it's, it's really impressive to see the things that he can do. Um... I think he gets overlooked because, you know, he's also the guy who thinks, like, listen, I'm not saying the earth is flat, but I just have some questions. Isn't that what he fucking said on... on oh, of, co- of course. Yeah, it's... And, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then the fucking uh, podcast he was a guest on, and, like, yeah. he know, like, he like he knows all these clips of him saying the F-slur are out yeah. there. Like he, like, he knows this. Right. Like, he's never, he's never attempted, attempted to rec- rectify any of that. So it's like, AJ, like, AJ is what he is. And if, like, the, the the perspective is, like, well, fuck AJ for, like, X, Y, and Z, like, hey, like, totally, yeah. like, I agree with you. But it's, like, you can't tell me there isn't, like, a, like, a, like some level of curiosity to, ima- curiosity, curiosity to imagine AJ on, like, fucking, like, the Ultimate Fighter 1. Right. Oh, my God. Ima- yeah, imagine AJ had found out about fucking MMA, dude. Like, it would be lights out. Yo, dude, imagine, a- imagine AJ versus, like, fucking Chris Lee. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, fuck. God damn. This is crazy shit. But yeah, like I think it's easy to overlook the intelligence that AJ has because he's he comes across so ignorant when it comes to other things that we put as humans put a premium on, but like he's got a different kind of intelligence that's that's special. Um and I think that Tyler Bate <laughs> back to what we're talking about. I think that Tyler Bate very similarly has the same thing. And I think that uh I think that he definitely gets he gets looked at as being like, you know, he, oh, he was groomed by Trent Seven or whatever. And it's like I mean sure whatever, but like he also like 
clearly has a certain level of, of intelligence that is not, uh, it's, it's kind of special. He's got special athleticism and special intelligence when it comes to like physicality that, uh, that shows even here. And I remember, and, 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 and just like special drive, yeah. like the thing that like the thing that makes like, makes like someone like Tyler Bader make AJ who they are is like, they just like have a desire to be the best. And like what, what makes like, like, so like people like that, like some like, like the cream, like is going to rise to the top one day because like, People like that just, like, never stop working. Yeah, and it's similar to, like, the Brock Lesnar thing. It's that, like, it's that level of, like, I have to be the best, and I just can't not be the best, you know? And, like, and and someone like Brock, I think, measures himself directly against competition, which is, like, a little bit different than someone like Tyler Bate, who I think that Tyler Bate doesn't seem to, like, feel the need to prove that he's better than other people. He just wants to prove to himself that he is the best. It's, like, a different thing, but, like, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Um... And then that kind of drive that Bate has is is actually honestly to me seems like it's more productive because someone like the Brock thing where it's like I I want to prove that I'm better than others it's like all you do is push yourself to be like just a little bit better than the best other person and the thing that Tyler Bate has is like I just want to like be able to be perfect at this which is probably not healthy and probably really bad for you like emotionally or 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 or, or even like um. Say like you do get like say like from that Brock standpoint, where it's like, well, I'm already better than everybody. It's like, well, then like, then you then you have no motivation, and yeah. then that like leads to like some of the Brock years that we got before, where it's like, like Brock doesn't give a shit because he's already like yeah. there, and like there's no one there to there's no one there to get sort of like threaten threaten his spot. Like to me, it's like it's like definitely definitely kind of like pick like a pick your poison thing. You can have like this like Kobe Bryant like obsession with like your own personal skills, and you're not and you're not like measuring yourself versus somebody else. Or you can just like be like this like insane Brock Lesnar like fuck everybody I'm gonna do this and that and it's like either way like you're a psychopath right either way you're a psychopath I think that something like the the Kobe thing is more you end up with people who are better and probably are more damaging them to themselves mentally um, because like that perfectionism is just not healthy for you um, and then meanwhile you get the Brock thing where it's like that's more healthy for him psychologically obviously he lives a great life outside of competition but like he also hits a plateau which is just better than everybody else and then stops and that's all he needs to hit and that's that's probably better for him like I said because he's content with what he is um, don't need to keep right. psychoanalyzing every wrestler on the planet uh, or every person on the planet <laughs> no, at this no, point I- Oh no! Oh not me! No, we can we can make this a miniseries yes. too. Um, but we follow this up with a big ass trios match. That again, this is why I said the 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 ladder match felt like to me, looking back, like oh that was the most important thing on the show. That was the main event. But the Travis Banks versus Tyler Bate match was like kind of treated like a cool off match. But I actually thought was fucking awesome and really 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 enjoyed it a lot. And we followed up with a trios match that I thought kicked ass. We've got Pete Dunne, Eddie Dennis, Wild Boar. For the Attack 24-7 title, this is before Attack has a heavyweight title match. Um, Pete Dunne is coming into this as a champion. I talked, We talked about it when we reviewed, and this is a pod blast, so you know, jump over to the PTBN feed or PWO or whichever feed it was to find this in the old archives, but we reviewed an uh, Attack show where Pete Dunne was facing the uh, Attack Pro Wrestling debuting Will Ospreay. And at the time, I talked about how it was odd to see Pete Dunne having the 24-7 title and treating it like it was a big deal and having a serious ass wrestling match with it against Osprey, but that's what he was doing. As so many other people had treated the twenty four seven title as kind of like a joke comedy thing. Um, but looking back on this, it was like at this time, 
Pete was defending it and treating the 24-7 title like the, the main title of the, the company that was serious, because it was. There wasn't any other singles title. Pete Dunne was the, right. was the big deal. We get Eddie Dennis in here, who goes on to become, spoiler alert for anybody, he becomes the first Attack Pro Wrestling heavyweight champion. We get him here in the middle of a pretty heated rivalry with Pete Dunne over the 24-7 title, and then eventually he wins the main title. He has a, a really good run with the main title that I think that people who eventually appreciated Eddie Dennis as the progress kind of character when he turned heel and was like, oh yeah, he's actually good now. If you go back and watch his Attack Pro Wrestling Championship run, you can see that there was some of the, it wasn't a heel, but there was some of that like, oh, this guy can actually be the top star of a company kind of vibe. He was doing decent promo work. He was always delivering as the main event guy. Like he was actually really good. Um, and then we get Wild Boar, who again, is like the, the namesake of our, of our episode this week. And a guy who's preeminently a big time favorite for both of us and delivers huge here. For a trios match, I thought this was done super well. You do not get prolonged periods of time where this feels like a singles match with one guy selling. This like really feels like three guys who have issues all with each other. Predominantly, Boar and Dennis don't like Pete Dunne, but they're more than willing to mix it up with each other. You rarely get, like again, prolonged times where this doesn't feel like it's three guys fighting. It always feels like it's three guys fighting, and I think that it works, especially because you do have the two guys who are really focused on wanting to beat the shit out of Dunne. Um... But they also, like, are willing to mix it up with each other, you know? So, yeah, you don't get... You never... Once do you get, like, a prolonged period where it's just two guys fighting. It's like, they, they make sure that you're always hitting stuff. Does that mean that they repeat some spots? Like, kind of. Eddie Dennis does the fallaway slam uh, Samoan drop thing twice. He does a regular version and a super version. But fuck that. Like, I have never seen anybody do that. <laughs> Double the fallaway slam um, Samoan drop thing. Where, like, when... Eddie Dennis does it, he fucking launches Pete in the fallaway slam. Like, yeah. I have never... Most of the time you see people do that, it's, like, really gentle. He fucking flings him across the ring. I was just like, God damn... Like, Eddie Dennis is so big and so strong, it's really underappreciated. Like, most people can, like, they can get people... Even, like, Brian Cage, who's big as shit, can, like, get people up for it, and that's about it. But Eddie is, like, in full control, and he fucking chucks him halfway across the ring. I mean, it's a small ring, but it was impressive. Um, Boar coming out of nowhere with big-ass uh, spears repeatedly. Boar, I mean, Boar fucking rules. And, like, I don't know Boar from, you know, whatever you say. I don't even know what the thing, what the, I don't know him from Joseph. Or there's some kind of fucking phrase like that that I don't remember. It's like a religious reference thing. Either way. But I know people who know Boar personally from the backyard days and stuff, and I've I've actually had people DM me saying like, "Oh, thanks for you know saying nice things about my my buddy Boar or whatever," which I have done on podcasts plenty of times. Fuck all that. Doesn't matter. I appreciate people saying that. I like that you listen, but I love Wild Boar. I think he kicks ass, and here he fucking owns like his intensity, the violence that he brings when he hits the big ass spear on Pete Dunn through the table that comes out of nowhere. That shit was fucking amazing. Like. This is how you do a trios match, okay? People talk shit about multi-man matches, trios matches, all that stuff. Like, this is all action. There's some selling. There's some story. There's some heated rivalryness. There's some brawling. There's tables. There's, like, maybe not blood, but there's, like, big, nasty-looking scrapes. There's kendo sticks. There's ladders. There's chairs. There's... The, 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 kendo, the kendo stick shots look insane yeah. because, like... I remember talking about this uh, when, me and, when me and Brock talked about uh, Gage versus Tremont. And... Something about like the GCW uh, venue they were in when they were doing Gage versus Tremont too, and like they're being like so dark and dimly lit in there, it just made like those like those light tube shots look almost like like 
almost like a like like some like something you would see in a movie. Like there was like some sort of like some cinematography to it, and I felt the same way with these candlestick shots that Pete Dunne was giving out. Like you kind of like see like the candlestick like bending, and you see like the wood chips and particles like all flying off it because it's like so like dimly lit in there. It's like man, like it, it almost like looks even more brutal than like it would usually would, and like candlestick shots always look and sound nasty, but it looked particularly graphic, like here with like with with how little lighting there was in there. Yeah, and I I apologize because I have been like steamrolling over, but I fucking loved this match, and and the lighting. It's kind of funny because the lighting and the way that it is, like I could definitely see a lot of people disliking it. I loved it, and in some ways, I'm like watching it and thinking, and I'm like. This is like almost proto Riptide. Like the 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 way that the lighting is really adds a cinematic layer to this. Like you were saying, like where it's like Riptide doesn't intentionally. They this is obviously they just like hobbled some stuff together and made it look like kind of abject, um, just because it is abject because it's just like people who just don't have the money but they have the passion. But like like yeah, it's like it's it's really cinematic because the lighting is kind of fucked up and <laughs> it like does make it feel like violent and brutal thumbtacks show up or i guess in the uk they call them drawing pins um drawing pins show up i loved pete going for a near fall he hits the last stop driver on eddie dennis his finishing move like again it just plays into pete is such a fucking prick like biggest asshole in the oh, world like, we, we we like we haven't talked about we like you've like given like rightful praise to eddie and what bore here but dude yeah Please Pete go. Pete is fucking amazing. You know what? Get it. Pete is amazing. Give give your 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 thoughts on the match. I I will let you go because I just fucking steamrolled like crazy and I completely have not even talked about Pete. So feel free to get into Pete. Get Dude. into the match. Yeah. Oh man, this was like you get like you just remember why like why you like why you fell why you fall in love with Pete Dunne. Like this were like this the shit eating grin, bumping everybody, getting in their faces doing chicken shit stuff, but also, like, having, like, a tough edge to him, just being a dick for no reason to everybody, like, and, like, just, like, the way he carried it, like, that's what made Pete Dunne the way, like, like, what what made Pete Dunne why we fell in love with him, and then eventually, like, it got took, and it got, uh, you know, turned into, like, this fucking, like, low-key shit, where he, like, it's like, oh, Pete Dunne, he can do whatever the fuck he wants, blah, 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 and then, like, we're expected to just like it, because it's Pete Dunne, Instead of just, like, having, like, a clear-cut, like, character character distinction for him. Where it's, like, he's such a badass and he's so, he, and he beats everyone up. So it's, like, we're gonna have, we're, we're gonna have him be a baby face, Even though, like, this guy really should be a heel. Because, like, that's what his character started as. Not as this fucking, like, badass uh, world beater. And, and just, like, seeing him take, his, take these little pot shots and piss off the crowd and the booze and just... Wild Boar and Dennis going after him any chance they got. This is a masterful performance by Pete Dunne. This is like the most impressed I've been by Pete Dunne in a long time. Um, look, when someone was as bad as Pete Dunne was for a lot of the time the last couple of years, like you kind of forget, like, damn, like why, why did I like this dude in the first place? And this would be the match I say where if like anyone has felt that way about Pete Dunne the last couple of years, just go watch this match. He's incredible in this match. And if you have ever had any like second thoughts like man like why why did Pete Dunne like blow up the way he did and it's like Pete Dunne was really good what happened with Pete Dunne is that it got like his character got took and bastardized and, and, turned, and turned into something that it wasn't and it got turned into like this tongue in cheek thing and people people missing the point of why the character got over but Pete at this point is still really amazing yeah I mean 
I mean, par- probably part of why I don't, I didn't even <laughs> talk about Pete Dunn that much here is like 2016 is the year where I have Pete Dunn and my top 100 is number four. Um, and uh, I'm looking, you know, looking at it, it's like he's behind Trevor Lee, Chris Hero, Zack Sabre Jr. in 2016. That's insane <laughs> to think about those guys and think about Pete Dunn like right below them but that's where i was on him in 2016 yeah. because of stuff like this when i talk about how great this is as a trios match like eddie dennis and wild boar were ph- phenomenal pursuing their roles but what made this match work so well as a trios is you had this domineering heel who like you talk about and i would scream to anybody who would listen at the time every time i reviewed anything he said the, the thing that i would say is exactly what you said is that he can he could be a fucking badass kick-ass dude but he can also be the back foot selling chicken shit heel better than anybody you've ever seen like it's it's very much like the thing that a lot of people say about rick flair as a heel which is like completely true pete dunn can do the same kind of thing or he did the same kind of thing at this time it's like he can be just the most like dominant believable kick-ass dude but he could he's also just like instantly selling instantly on the back foot running away and him and that dynamic is what made this match work because you have Boer and Dennis who are so focused on him that like they would fight each other here and there but at all times it's always a trio it's always a three-way match it's always a because the focus is always both of them wanting to get their hands on Pete Dunne and that's why the match never like I said like never has those prolonged periods of time where like just other people are fighting for a long time because both of them have to fucking get to Pete they cannot just let the, neither one of them can like sit back and sell and be fucking bothered to do anything. Like they have to get him. They have to show this piece of shit. And then when he still ends up winning after all is said and done, it's like, fuck this guy. And then it's the best attack thing ever is that like you follow it up with, he gets beat by Shane Purser, the fucking referee, (laughs) the referee who did a head scissors to a luchador earlier in the night beats him for the title after this. And it's like, and then, and then not only that, like the fucking like referee that he's been a dick to the whole of fucking course. night gives him a st- gives him a stunner because like that's like that's that's why Pete Dunn is what he is, and that's what Pete Dunn should have always been. You want to see Pete Dunn get eat shit at the end. That's what you want, like yes. bad, terrible guys to do in wrestling. You want to see someone eat shit at the end and overcome them. Be like, ha! Like you shouldn't act like such a fucking dickhead because this is what happened. You forgot that this is a twenty four seven title. Anyone could do something to you. And that's great, and I think that, and that's my point is that I feel like, yeah, you know, and I blame Progress for a lot of shit. I remember you when you were there for the top fifty when like I I railed on them for like how they well, for what they did with Jenny for what they did for and what what they for what they did with Travis Banks, and I railed on them again here where it's like, I feel like Pete Dunn did himself no favors by like his Twitter presence and being like you know like the the British indie scene is alive and well. Huh? British Indies dead. I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And then like this whole shit with the fucking belt and starting shit with David Starr because of that and everything that he's done. So I understand why like Pete Dunn made himself an easy target, but the reality is is that like I think WWE like once they got to the, to the mode of like, well, Pete's our guy, we gotta protect him. They didn't know like like they didn't know what the fuck to do with him. So like. As Jim and Glenn and, and John are trying to figure out, like, okay, how do we do this thing? Like, they just didn't know how to book Pete Dunne. And then, like, as stuff keeps going on in NXT and the NXT UK universe, like, they they accidentally t- turn to do fucking babyface. So now, like, you really don't know what you're doing with them. 
And, like, to me, like, so many Pete Dunn problems are just solved by turning him heel. Well, okay, I'm with you, especially when it comes to, like, let's shit on, on progress booking, especially. But, like, as you were talking there, I kind of thought about it, and I'm kind of thinking about what made Pete so great. And it feels like it's not just progress because he had similar issues in rev pro and it, it's why yeah. he was great here but later on he's he's not is that like again like referencing the rick flair thing like you know when the gwe podcast happened i had rick flair number one uh, spoiler alert if we do a gwe ever again if i ever do it again my number one is definitely not going to be rick flair again because uh you can watch a video by joseph uh uh on um on youtube talking about who is the greatest wrestler of all time um and that's going to be my number one now. But what made the Ric Flair thing, and I mentioned it here, what made the Pete Dunne thing is that these guys are the best wrestler on the planet. You literally can believe that they can beat anyone. They should beat anyone. They should be the champion. They are the top guy. But also, they are immensely beatable. They're literally the guy who's the most mm-hmm. beatable piece of shit who can lose to Shay Purser, the referee right here, because you can believe it. You can believe that Pete Dunne is the biggest asshole. He can beat Wild Boar and Eddie Dennis at the same time in a clean... I mean, it's a street fight. It's anything goes. There's no... He didn't cheat. He didn't do any bullshit because everything is legal. But he out-fucking-beat... He beat the two biggest, baddest motherfuckers in the company. He beat them clean. It's like... It's like, it's like name any Ric Flair match that Ric Flair won decisively. Right. But, but Pete can beat these two motherfuckers clean... No bullshit. He didn't have to cheat. He, You believe it, but then you also believe that the same motherfucker loses to the referee right afterwards. And that's the thing that he lost once he got, and I don't think that it's him, and I don't think that it's progress. It's like WWE mentality, where it's like, now he can't yeah. lose. Now he... Or, or, na- or like, now like now like it kind of like went to his head. Right. So, like, so like, so like certain things like I remember, of like just like the difference in how Pete Dunne acted, right? Do you, me- like, do you remember the... Uh... Like the like the Pete Dunn El Fantasma. Of course, match. that's like that match was the biggest like kind of, I won't even say like argument between us, but it was a match that like me and you disagreed on in a way. But I completely got where you were coming from because he ate him up. Like yeah, it's like yeah, like should like should he be eating up like this fucking dork and El Fantasmo? Of course, but it's also like damn, like this is like almost like some like some low key shit was going was going on here. I was like really shy, and even then like. He did it like the night before with fucking Chris Brooks, a guy that he's known for years. And it was an awesome match. But you watch it and it's like, why is Pete Dunne beating the shit out of tall ass Chris Brooks like this? Well, could you uh, imagine this Pete Dunne? Imagine 2016 Attack Pro Wrestling 24-7 champion Pete Dunne doing something like that to El Fantasma. You couldn't dream of it. This guy that we just watched in this three-way match would not do that. But then uh, just a few years, it's like it becomes this like weird, I have to protect myself. And again, like... It's, like I say, I don't think it's progress. I don't think it's Pete. It's like, w, I feel like it's like Triple H. Like it's, you know, it's that WWE mentality and it's specifically the Triple H mentality where it's like, you got to protect yourself. You have to look out for you. You're the star. Everyone else, well, this guy, he just doesn't quite have it. And it's like, Pete, that was not the way, that was not the way that Pete was cut. That was not the way that Pete wrestled before. And then it seemed no, Pete, like yeah. Pete came. Pete came up off of fucking like teamwork and doing thing and doing things together because like they were like the fucking like outcast kids. Like progress, progress wasn't using those guys. Those guys weren't getting pushed by progress. Like they had to go and like do shit on their own. Like and like that's to me is like what makes the Pete Dunn story so fucking like 
sad sometimes. It's because like you know that's not what Pete Dunn was. And then like the second that he gets like any kind of like notoriety or like any kind of like, you know, like bumping shoulders with bump, bumping shoulders with big wigs, like he just like changes his whole approach and mentality when it's like, no, like your entire approach was like founded on friendship and like doing things you know, like yourselves because like no one else believed in you. <laughs> right. And on top of like even beyond just the friendship thing, like Pete was the one of the guys like when there was a time when one of the like main talking points from fucking wrestlers that were willing to put things out on podcasts or on the internet like when this was still early and uh and like not everyone had a twitter and not everyone like had to like talk shit or do whatever but like pete paid his own dime to fly himself to japan and america to train and to work indie shows and lose money and there was so many fucking wrestlers at the time who talked shit. Oh my god. They just they clown this they clown him and Andrews all the fucking yeah. time. And they constantly talked about how that's not professional. You're and but they were the guys that you're being, did you're being a yeah, mark. Being a mark, losing money on wrestling, you're that's not the right way to do it. You're ruining it for everyone else. Like you're lowering the co- like all the shit that people talk, but he was the one who did that. Right? And that shit is not the protect your star power. Don't you know what I mean? Like make sure that they pay what you're worth. Like that shit is like the like you said the teamwork. The be willing to like invest in yourself and be willing to humble yourself and that kind of stuff. And like that all of that shit and that ethos goes completely out the window. Like you said, as soon as he's rubbing shoulders with the bigwigs, and it's like where's that same Pete? Where's screwing the wrestling? you know, uh, flips and forearms, Pete, who's flying himself to fucking, you know, Peoria or wherever the fuck in middle America to wrestle on some dumbass freelance show, you know, for free, basically fly yourself to America and wrestle for free. Like that doesn't feel like the guy who then has to eat up El Phantasmo, eat up, uh, Mark Davis, eat up, you know, J- Chris Brooks. Oh, when he did it, when he, when he did it to Mark Davis. Oh my god, <laughs> that was fucking ridiculous. Like, yeah, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, where where is that? Where is that young Pete Dunne? Like, that's the thing that again, it's like it's the same thing we talked about recently on the podcast about progress feeling like it like kind of let you down and you just want to call them sellouts instead of admitting that you like they tricked you. It's the same thing with Pete. It's like, man, like fuck i thought that we were on the same page <laughs> like it felt like it and then now as soon as like you have the chance to to make this yeah. money it's like you completely flip the script on us so and, and and that's and that's like the reality about like a lot of people like i guess like sometimes when you're like when you like you kind of like do those things i got a necessity you know like you gotta like band together and you know like be united front and like support each other out of necessity and then like once like some billionaire takes a liking to you it's like oh fuck you guys exactly <laughs> And yeah, we'll see. We'll see where things move forward with them. But like on this show, we get Mark Andrews, who you know, unfortunately, is doing absolutely nothing in NXT UK. Is not, you know, not treated like anything. And on here, we see him. He's fucking great. We got Pete here, also great. He was the NXT UK champion for so long. He was the tag team champion until all this fucking pandemic hit. He's like clearly someone they're gonna focus on. But it feels like weirdly divergent paths. You know, Mark Andrews never. He was like. There was times still when Mark Andrews was like, clearly WWE was interested in him and, and was going to possibly sign him. And he was like, still, oh, my band is on tour. <laughs> like, so, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's still kind of doing the, the DIY kind of punk thing. Who knows? You know, but feels that way. Um, and these, these are the two owners of this company that we just watched in Attack Pro Wrestling. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, closing thoughts, anything else you want to talk about before we head out? Uh, no, just like, uh, well, while it was like, it was a really fun show to watch. I think, I think the, I think the Pete Dunn talk really just like does my perspective. Like, Hey man, like at the end of the day, like we're just fans and like, we think like we're like we're like we're getting an idea of like what these people are and like what they really stand for and like when we're seeing them in these like humble beginnings but then like you know the blink of an eye like all that can change and from talking about progress and talking about Pete Dunn in particular here like you just you just never know and I think like the best thing you could do like as always is like keep wrestling at a distance yeah or so like things like this don't happen to you yeah don't enjoy wrestling too much it's a what is the the thing it's it's garbage people it's garbage sport by garbage people or whatever um yeah yeah i mean just keep it at arm's length and uh, and you'll be okay quentin um it feels like these uh, retro reviews are going to be coming to an end soon because everything's opening back up um the economy is coming back uh wrestling shows are happening again i think stardom is doing a show uh but uh maybe maybe we'll do a couple more of these retro shows what do you think yeah, we'll see how we'll see how things start shaking out. Um, obviously, like a lot of the stuff that we watch, um, certain Jap certain Japanese stuff, a lot of English stuff, some U.S. Indies, like stuff like that. Like all um, have to get back um, in in seeing like uh, if they're gonna be if we're gonna be able to like do certain things. Um, you know, personally, like I'm not too enthused about the fuck about fucking AEW and WWE. Like going back and like trying to do arena shows, but like. I'll just see like how like how like how the wrestling world shakes out, and uh, you know we'll always have these to, go, to, to fall back to. I think I think we find a I think we find a good pattern. Definitely. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Follow us on Twitter at QNTR. Send us email responses about stuff. If there's anything that like I think there was a couple questions I was wondering about. If you have the answers or if you have any whatever, you can email us at QNTR at uh, gmail dot com. I uh, I promise I'll check the email. I haven't in a while, but I will. Um, Otherwise, I think that's it, Quentin. Uh, you have anything else you want to say before we go? Nope. Uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. I hope you next time. <laughs> <laughs>